on, we're on sermon number 32 of I don't know how many. It's going to be fun. Um, one author wrote, it's a dangerous thing walking out your front door. And uh, that has been a historical reality. I see some of you identifying who that author is. Um, it's true, it really has, it's not just, the, not just the truth of fantasy, it's truth about reality. Um, it's been a historical reality. There's been, really at any time after Genesis chapter number three happened, um, our world has been dangerous. Uh, there's, there's dangers everywhere. Um, it seems though that has been ramping up in the not so, in the not so distant past. Um, Consider what's happened just this last month. You think about Israel being attacked on October 7th by Hamas and all that happened there. Um, once again in history, there's a major conflict over the land of Israel. Um, and, and it's not going to end. Um, it's not going to end. We, we have been studying the book of Hebrews as a church on Sunday mornings, and while we've taken a detour for our missions conference, we're coming back today to study where we left off in Hebrews chapter number 11. And uh, it's a passage that has been called the Hall of Faith. If you turn your Bibles there with me, Hebrews chapter 11, just to, if, you're, if it's your first time, I see a lot of guests with us today, and I hope you... Um, Hope you are welcome and that you, this, you'll get something out of this lesson. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Um, he, he, he says in verse 2, for, it, by, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed. And he goes on and, and walks through all of these people in the Old Testament that had faith, you see in verse four, by faith, Abel. Verse five, you see by faith, Enoch. Verse seven, by faith, Noah. Verse eight, by faith, Abraham. And that's where we kind of, that's the last character we've talked about. All of these are dealing with people in, our, in the Old Testament. Most, almost all of them actually here, he's walking through the book of Genesis um, in his mind as he uh, declares to these Hebrews what he's, what he's talking about. He's commending faith. He's saying that, um, that, these are, that, that these Hebrews that he's talking about, these people who know about Jesus and know about the gospel, that it's never really been of works. It's always been about faith. That the people of God who are just, the just shall live by faith. This is what he's trying to commend. He's making the case that those who are just live by faith. And the last time we studied this passage together, we considered Father Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham in which he told Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation, that there would be a people that would come from him, and that there would also be a land. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, it says this, Now the Lord had said, Unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a, what's the next word? Unto a land that I'm going to show thee and I will make of thee a great nation. So there you go, a land and a people. I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and I will make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. This is particularly relevant. 
And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. We see in this covenant a gospel promise that was fulfilled and is being fulfilled through Jesus Christ. When it says, and in thee all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, this was fulfilled and will be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we come back to, so when we come back to where we left off we see this promise affect all the descendants of Abraham that are mentioned in the following verses the last time we talked about about last time we were in Hebrews I told you the story as it's outlined here of Abraham and Isaac Abraham had Isaac his son and God had come to Isaac, come to Abraham and said I want you to give me your son your only son Isaac this week I had a cold And on Thursday and Friday, I sneezed every 27 and a half seconds. And you ever get that feeling in your nose like it's going to come, you know? That's what I'm fighting right now. And I can't have two tracks going because I'm ADD. I just have one track. Can you pray for me? Pray for my nose specifically, okay? Amen. And also listen. That's not in the notes. Okay. Last time we talked, Abraham had Isaac. And God said Isaac was this child of promise. God had made a promise to him about a land and a nation. And they were old. Abraham and and his wife Sarah, they couldn't have children. They finally did have a child. But God says, I want you to sacrifice your child. And Abraham believed God. He got all the way to where he was going to kill Isaac. And then he didn't because God stayed his hand and provided a substitute. Isn't that amazing? And we said that that was a beautiful picture of another time where there was a father who sacrificed his son, Jesus Christ. He was our substitute. We get to, that, that was ending there in verse 19. We get to verse 20, and it says this about Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Now, when Isaac was blessing Jacob and Esau concerning things to come, he was believing God for the promise that was given to his father Abraham and to him as his cho- and his children. He did this. He made this blessing in the land of promise. So in, in that particular verse, Isaac is believing the promise that was made to Abraham. What was the promise made to Abraham? You're going to be blessed Those who bless you are going to be blessed. Those who curse you are going to be cursed. You're going to have a great nation in you. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's what Isaac was believing in when he blessed his his kids. It says there in verse 21. Here's talking about Jacob. Verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. Now when Jacob here, so Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. And Esau, Jacob became the, the one who was blessed, okay? Are you, anybody having flashbacks to Sunday school? Remembering this, okay? Who remembers, um, I shouldn't even go down this road, but I'm going to. Who remembers flannel graph? You guys remember flannel graph? Oh, that was, the, if you don't know what we're talking about, you're fine. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons. One of those sons was Joseph. And it says in verse 21, when Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed the sons of Joseph. But when he did that, he did it in Egypt. Having been sustained by the providence of God through Joseph, who had been taken there through slavery. 
Jacob blessed Ephraim and Manasseh. Those were Joseph's kids, Ephraim and Manasseh, which is an interesting story, but, and I, I would love to go into it. But also he told Joseph, so he ended up blessing the younger instead of the older. When he went to bless them, he crossed his hands and it's a whole other thing. But he, 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 he blessed them and he said that those two would have an equal portion with his other son. So he moved them up a generation in terms of their blessing. But when he was doing that, again, he was referring back to the Abrahamic covenant. In fact, he told Abraham in in that passage, or sorry, Jacob, sorry, in that passage, talking to Joseph says, you're going to go back to the promised land. God has sustained us in Egypt, but you're going to, these people are going to go back to the promised land. God still wanted to perform that. Verse 22, look at what it says. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandments concerning his bones. What was Joseph saying? Yeah, I know God has sustained us by bringing our family to Egypt and God's making a great nation of us in Egypt, but God promised to make us a nation, but he also gave us a land. And so when you guys go back, this is what Joseph said to the children of Israel that were there. When you guys go back, not if you go back, when you go back, because God keeps his promises, when you go back to that land, take my bones with you. And that's what they did. Genesis 50, 24, this is where he says this. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Do you get it? And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel. He said, make me a promise now saying, God will surely visit you and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt, but that's not where he stayed, his body. God had promised a land for his people. God gave the land to Abraham and to his descendants. It's his, and by the way, it's, it's God's land to give. It's his land. Whose land is it over there? God's. And he gave it to the children of Israel. It's his land to give, and he has that right to do that. These people in the hall of faith, all of these people we're talking about, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Abel, all of these people believe God, and we can believe God too. That brings us to the text that we're going to study today and to the next model of faith found in this text. It's a man of faith called Moses. What can we learn here? What are we supposed to learn here in this particular passage from the faith of Moses? Today I want to make a proposition, and this is my proposition. We are living in dangerous times. We are living in dangerous times. Um, you may say, well, yeah, Pastor Ben, there's a war going on in the Middle East. There's, there's, there's a war in the Ukraine, but there's not war here. Um, but there are dangerous times in our country without war. Well, what do you mean? Well, addiction is, is on the rise of all kinds. It's easy to get addicted. Apathy. Has anybody noticed there's an apathy in the country? Entertaining ourselves at nauseum comes easy. 
our kids are being targeted with more temptation and more, and there's more that can ruin their lives than I had when I was a kid. The most of us had access until uh, most of us had access to, to and much later in life. So, some of our kids are even being sacrificed before they ever leave the womb. One of the most dangerous places to be in some places in our country is the womb. We live in dangerous times. Moses did too. The author of Hebrews points out that Moses was greatly used by God and he was used by God because of Moses' faith. Moses made some decisions that put him in a place to be used by God in some incredible ways. So here's my, here's my proposition to you this morning. Not only do we live in dangerous times, but we need to exhibit faith in God in dangerous times. That if there's ever a time to believe God, to trust God, to obey God, to go God's way and not man's way, it's in times like these. We can do this by following the example of Moses and making three critical decisions when times are tough. Moses, it point, God points out here through Hebrews three kinds of decisions that Moses made. And I'm going to give them to you today. The first one is this. His first decision was this. We must reject wrong identity. We must reject wrong identity. Moses rejected a wrong identity. And so we do too. Look at verse, now we're into the text. Hebrews 11, verse 23. Here's what it says. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and were not afraid of the king's commandment. Moses was born into an Egypt that was much later than the Egypt that Joseph left. The Bible even says there arose, Exodus 1.8, now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. It didn't mean that he didn't have some kind of historical background on Joseph. It's that he didn't regard Joseph at all where that the Jewish people had been a blessing to Egypt by sustaining Egypt through the famine, now he sees the nation of Israel, these Hebrews, these children of Israel as a threat, and he's begun to put them into slavery. By the time that Moses showed up on the scene, the people of God were being enslaved by the Pharaoh of Egypt. This Pharaoh dealt treacherously with God's people and even instituted a policy. This is what it seems like... (laughs) This happens so much. Why? What is the fascination with leaders of killing children? He instituted a policy that all the sons should be killed, Exodus 1.22. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. Moses' parents had a fearful task that they, should, that they chose not to be afraid of in defying the unjust law of the land that compelled them to kill their son. In Exodus 2.2, it says, And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Imagine having to hide your baby's cries from the authorities for the first three months of life. Man, my kids are so loud. Trying to hide them from anybody is a tough thing. Right? Trying to do that? Nursing the child in secret must have been incredibly 
difficult. The most famous way that this mother exercised her faith in God in defiance to the foreign king was to put her baby in an ark of bulrushes. God showed himself to be faithful and incredible. Exodus 2, 3 says, And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and, and daubed it in the slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river brink and his sister stood afar off to wit that what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river and her maidens walked along by the riverside. Was that an accident, by the way? Not an accident. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the babe wept. And she had what? Was that an accident? She had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrews' women that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, take this child away and nurse it for me and I will give thee thy wages. I wanna pay you to raise your kid in an environment where the law says you ought to kill him. How big is God? God is good. And the woman took the child and nursed it. The daughter of the man who instituted the law to kill the child paid Moses' mother to nurse her own child. She then adopted it, this child as her own, making him a prince of Egypt. Now just a few points of application real quick. The Bible is living and active because it doesn't just say what happens, but proclaims what often happens even today. Satan uses ungodly leaders to hurt children. That's been done. I was so saddened about the vote this week. But we got to do the work we got to do to make sure that individual families are helped and loved so they make the right choice. But Satan uses ungodly leaders to hurt children. Civil disobedience in response to unjust laws is an act of faith and should be honored, but sometimes comes at a cost. Yet God honors those who live by faith. We ought to have the attitude of those three Hebrew boys when it comes to some of this stuff. When we believe God can deliver us, but if he won't, we will not bow down. And that's what Moses' mother did. Now look at, look at verse 24. Look at this. That's the faith of his parents. Now look at the faith of Moses. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, here it is, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. God had used Pharaoh's daughter to preserve the life of Moses. He could have been killed, but because of the faith of his mother to keep him alive and because of the providence of God, God worked so that he would be adopted by her. So God used Pharaoh's daughter to preserve him. God also used Pharaoh's daughter to prepare Moses to lead the people of Israel. Moses was educated in the palaces and enjoyed the benefits of, the, of that privilege as a child. Yet there came a time where Moses had to decide about the worldview and the lifestyle he was being given. Would he accept the God of his mother and father who raised him? Or would he accept the, the, the pagan gods and the perspective of the Egyptians? Would he, the gods of the ruling class, 
or the God of the slave class? The pleasure of the palace or the affliction of his people? What does it say he did? By faith, Moses, when he had come to years, what did he do? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We see that he did this by faith, right? Now, we, we have a lot being said about identity today. Who agrees? There's a lot being said about identity. Um, if we're going to live faithfully in dangerous times, we must decide to choose the right identity. The most important thing about you, the most important thing about you is whether or not you are in Christ. If you're in Christ, that's your identity. It should shape everything about you. We may find ourselves with competing identities. Let me ask you a question. This is a question you ought to ask yourself. Am, am I more identified by my career, by my political party, by my talents, by my family, by my friends? Is there anything more important to me that identifies me more than Jesus Christ? The answer is no, but I'm asking you, what's your value? Imagine, imagine with me what it, what it would take to try to live without that kind of an identity. For Moses, it came to a point where to be faithful to God meant to not be identified as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he had to reject the wrong identity. Closely with that is the second decision. Are you ready? Number two, we must reject a wrong culture. We must reject a wrong culture. The identity of being the son of Pharaoh's daughter was rejected because it was tied to the culture of the Egyptians. Now, not everything the Egyptians did was wrong, by the way. Um, not all culture is sinful. Who's thankful for food culture? I'm thankful for that. Italian food? Um, Mexican food? Yeah. Um, barbecue. I'm going to get you guys that want to leave. I'm sorry. Yeah, what, culture can be good. Um, remember Joseph? Joseph, this was uh, Jacob's son, who went to Egypt specifically. When he got to Egypt, he was a slave. He went into the, he went into the pit, and then he went up to the palace. I mean, he, he became like the Egyptians, in fact, he came, became number two in the land. And when his brothers came to see him, his brothers didn't recognize him. Why? They thought he was Egyptian. He dressed like them. He looked like them. He, he spoke their language. Um, that wasn't wrong necessarily. When, when we send missionaries to the mission field, we want them to adapt to the culture where they're going. We don't want them to try to be Americans there. We want them to try to adapt to that culture, speak their language, eat their food, dress like them. So not everything in a culture is sinful, but there are sinful things in every culture. This is the part of the culture that Moses rejected by faith, the wrong kind of pleasure. Look at verse 25. It says this, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. By faith, Moses chose to endure affliction with the people of God. He decided to identify with slaves rather than with Pharaoh. He chose affliction that was temporary instead of the pleasure of sin that was for a season. 
How, how did he do that? He did it by faith. When we choose sinful pleasure over God, we have to realize that we're making a very bad choice. Our relationship with God has greater and far-reaching effects. He rejected the temporary pleasure for something eternal. He rejected the wrong kind of pleasure. He rejected the wrong kind of treasure. The wrong kind of treasure. Look at verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. What an incredible word is there. Look at verse 26. If you, if you underline your Bible, underline the word esteeming in verse 26. Esteeming means talking, is talking about placing a value on something. We all do this. We esteem certain things over other, other things. Moses did this evaluating and esteeming between the reproach of Christ, it says. He esteemed the reproach of Christ, and then he esteemed the treasures in Egypt, and he made a decision. How did he do that? It says in verse 24, he did it by faith. He esteemed the reproach of Christ, identifying with the people of God, believing the what was the, what was he believing? That there was a God who had made a promise about a land and a people, and that God was going to bring those people back to his land, right? And even though personally it may have been better for him to stay in the palace, he knew that that was just going to be temporary because his people would still be in bondage, and there was an invisible God that still had a problem with that. Is Pharaoh bigger than God? Is Pharaoh bigger than God? Is there any human being bigger than God? Right, no. So he had to, he had to say, you know what? I'm, I'm doing some value here. The treasure of Christ, the treasure of, of God, or the treasures of Egypt. The pleasure of the palace is pretty good, I'm sure. The treasures of Egypt were vast and well known. They're, they're known for that today, aren't they? The reproach of Christ and the affliction of the people of God was also temporary. Yet the benefits of making that choice are still being enjoyed by Moses today. The Greek word here translated for recompense of the reward is the word methapodosia. He says, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The idea of that word means the discharging of wages. Literally what he's saying is Moses believed that there was another kind of payday. He could cash in on Egypt temporarily and suffer reproach. Or he could cash in on, he can invest in God, invest in the people of God, and there's a payday. Moses is having a great day today. Do you get it? We're all here talking about his good example. What a vivid picture for us. As a dad, I want my kids to learn that kind of discernment. I want to exemplify for, for them that kind of discernment. There could be pleasure in sin. There can be pleasure that would be for a season, yet there's a payday coming. They have to learn to esteem the pleasure of God over that. He also, he, he, he had to reject the wrong kind of power. The wrong kind of power. Look at verse 27. It says, by faith, by faith he forsook Egypt. Here it is not fearing the wrath of the who? Of the king. What a beautiful expression of Moses' approach to Egypt. We know that Moses left Egypt twice, right? The first time he left, he, was, he had killed an Egyptian slave master. 
And that time that he left, he did fear the king. He did fear the king of Egypt. He was worried that, that, the, that the law of the land would bring a punishment for his crime. He had killed an Egyptian for a Hebrew. He had that Jewish background. So I'm sure that the argument that he was pro-Hebrew and pro-slave was a currently an anti-Egyptian way of thinking. When he departed that time, he literally was in fear of the wrath of the king. This verse then has a second departure in mind. He says in verse 27, he, he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king. What was the difference between the first exodus of Moses and the second exodus? Look at the end of that verse. It says, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How do you see somebody who's invisible? How do you see somebody who's invisible? By faith. By faith. The visible king or the invisible God. He chose the visible king. He chose the invisible God, sorry. He did not fear the visible king because he had fear for the invisible God. He believed what he could not see. You know, this has always been the key to doing right when you think nobody's watching. When the authorities tell us what to do, Romans 13 reminds us that human government is ordained of God. Yet when human authorities that are ordained of God seek to compel us to disobey God, then our obligation is to disobey them. Fear of God is a faith thing, and it's the beginning of wisdom. And in a sense, the beginning of fear of God is faith. We disobey God when we give in to peer pressure that pushes us to disobey him. In that moment, we fear being the odd man out more than we fear God. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Moses made an important decision. I'm gonna reject the wrong kind of identity. I'm gonna reject the wrong kind of culture, the wrong pleasure, the wrong treasure, the wrong power. Here's his last one. Decision number three, we have to do the same thing. We must embrace the invisible. We must embrace the invisible. How do you do that? By faith. Look at what it says. For he endured to sing him, as, him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. The Passover was the name given to the last plague of Egypt in the time of Exodus in which God promised to kill the firstborn of every house, both human and animal, Hebrew and Egyptian. More specifically, the term Passover was the term that spoke to the fact that God had a redemption plan for all who would believe and obey his plan. As he prepared to execute this final judgment, those who believed God were instructed to slay a pure lamb and sprinkle its blood on the um, doorposts of their homes. The blood of the innocent lamb would serve as a sign that the coming judgment had already been carried out. When seeing the blood, God would pass over that house. This is exactly what Moses did and what he led the people of Israel to do. They ate a meal in commemoration of their leaving. They believed this invisible God who said, if you would put this blood on the doorpost, I will pass by and I will not kill your firstborn. The judgment won't pass on you. 
They said, Lord, let this judgment pass over us. That's exactly what they were asking. They believed God. Moses led his people to believe God, that the invisible angel would pass by and would not kill them. When they did that, they ate this Passover meal. And when they ate this Passover meal, they ate with their sandals on. They ate with their traveling clothes on. They had already packed their bags, believing that God had a land for them to go to. Believing that God really would deliver them. That day, they got paid by the Egyptians. Their slave masters paid them to leave. It's an amazing thing. They believed that God would sustain them. And that's exactly what happened. The Passover meal, as well as the sprinkle of blood on the doorpost itself, is a rich tradition with symbolism of the person or redempted work of Jesus Christ. Years later, Jesus would sit at that same meal celebrating, and he would break the bread and say, this is my body that was broken for you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. It's the shedding of my blood. It was this meal that Jesus told his disciples about this coming sacrifice. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, Paul says, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, he also took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. What an amazing thing to believe God for deliverance and freedom. Here's, here's the truth. You and I deserve judgment for our sin. You and I deserve judgment for our sin. Every sin must be paid for. And we deserve judgment. But God provided a substitute. He provided the Lord Jesus Christ like the lambs that were slain and their blood was put on the doors and the judgment from that angel that passed over did not come on them when they saw the blood he passed over. When Jesus, when God poured out his wrath on Jesus, Jesus' blood was shed to pay for our sins. His blood washes away our sins. And he doesn't judge us because he already judged Jesus. And Bible says if we believe by faith what Jesus did, we can have our sins forgiven and heaven as our home. Isn't the Bible amazing? It all goes together. Moses believed by faith something he didn't even totally understand about what was going to happen. He just believed God and he was participating in something that led him to that particular, to that particular idea of what we, what we celebrate even in the Lord's Supper. Moses believed it so deeply that he would declare it to his people to obey as well. This was a continuation of Moses believing the invisible God and not being fearful of visible man, both the Egyptian king and, yes, sometimes the, even the very Hebrews that didn't want to follow him very well. Folks, we live in dangerous times. And our, and our, and our culture is trying to get us to reject an identity. It's not cool to be a Christian. It's not hip or in to be a believer. When they're taking track of who's for Jesus and who's not, it's, not, it's getting harder and harder to go. I'm on the Jesus train. 
And in moments like that, we got to reject the wrong identity. I am not first an American. I'm first a believer in Christ. I'm thankful for the good gift of America, but I am first and foremost a believer in Jesus Christ. I have my political views, but the most important thing is, what does Jesus want? I'm a dad. I'm a husband. But the way to be the best dad and the best husband I can be is to value and prioritize my identity in Christ. My wife needs a husband that loves Jesus. My kids need a dad that loves Jesus. And the only thing that's going to make an eternity for me possible is because Jesus died on the cross. And it's the same for you. If you put your faith and trust in him and his identity, God's got an incredible plan for your life. And, and, and if we're going to live in dangerous times, well, we've got we to gotta understand culture. We've got to see the parts of the culture we can redeem. There's some good things about culture that we can redeem to try to reach people. People are lost. They need Jesus Christ. And, and there were some good things that Moses used from his culture. He learned some things as a leader from his culture. But he rejected what was wrong about it. Listen, if you're going to be faithful to the Lord today, you're going to have to swim against the culture. You have to swim against it. You have to go against it. And so we got we to gotta have the discernment and from this word to know, okay, what, is, what do I need to do and what do I need to reject? The wrong kind of pleasure, the wrong kind of treasure, the wrong kind of power. How are we going to do all that? Well, we got to believe there's an invisible God who, although he is invisible to us now, has made himself known in the person and work of Jesus and through history. He, he loves us, he cares about us, and he calls us to put our faith in him. And when he does, he'll bless us. There's two kinds of people in this room, those who are saved and those who are lost. Those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation and those who have not done that and are gonna spend their eternity separated from God forever. God loves you. He cares for you. He died for you. And if you would put your faith and trust in his son, you can know heaven as your home and eternity forever. If you are a child of God and you're not living for God, maybe you let the culture dictate your life a little bit too much. Maybe you're, maybe you're giving in to visible people instead of trusting in the invisible God. Today, you can repent and, be, and, and get right with God in that. Whatever your decision is, we want to give you that opportunity today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for me?